Well, please uh, turn with me to the book of Exodus. We're going to be looking at uh, Exodus chapters uh, 2 through the first part of Exodus uh, chapter 6. So we've, uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, getting through the Pentateuch in about a year and a half or so, uh, or so. You know, that was the key part when we first started talking about these first five books of the Bible. My, my goal would be to be able to preach through the whole counsel of God. Uh, by the time I retire, uh, I'm going to need to to live a little bit longer, apparently, but that's okay. Uh, we, you know, if God will be gracious here, or if it uh, doesn't return first, and we'll be excited no matter what His plan is for us. But we're uh, we're making our way through there. Just encourage you to think about those five things Mike was mentioning. I'd uh, love to have you uh, consider being a part of our baptismal service if you haven't been obedient to the Lord in that yet, and have a desire to proclaim your faith in Christ through baptism. And then also, I'd love to have you be a part of the uh, Gospel Institute need opportunities there. No matter which uh, class you take, just uh, love to have you be a part of that. Well, Exodus, uh, we're looking at chapters 2 through 6. We're going to read from Exodus chapter 3, some some portions of that chapter. And so if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, and out of the midst of a bush he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you And what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will give you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Uh, Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize your your great provision of salvation for us. You have brought us into relationship with you. You've brought us out of affliction into worship. 
And we pray that that message of salvation, we would we'd bring people to you this morning through faith in your son Jesus. And we pray that message of salvation would be uh, with people in our church in a special way who, who have had uh, just, a, just tough things happen the last week, the last few weeks. We think of those we love who have lost family members, uh, those we love with significant health issues. We think of those we love who have uh, lost jobs or, or love those who've lost jobs. And we just recognize uh, hurt this morning, and, and we grieve with those and who are hurting, and we, we recognize salvation in you and your son Jesus. We thank you for how your people are responding to, the, to uh, difficult times and ask you continue to help them do so by your grace, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. To spiritually shepherd someone means to, to care for their spiritual needs. And, and all of us who are believers, who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, are called to be spiritual shepherds. All of us are called to meet the spiritual needs of others. Some of you are spiritual shepherds in the workplace. Maybe you're younger and your main sphere of ministry is in your workplace with the people that you're around all the time, and God has called you to be a, a spiritual shepherd, perhaps, to some of those. And maybe some of you, your spiritual shepherding takes place in the context of a family, maybe with siblings or with your children or with your spouse. God has called you to spiritually shepherd there, or maybe God has called you to shepherd spiritually in the church. You're a, a pastor elder, or you're a, a Sunday school teacher, or you are a care group leader, and God has called you to, to shepherd in that context. And wherever God has placed you as a believer, he's called you to care for others' spiritual needs. And I want to talk more specifically this morning about kind of one of those last categories, the, the category of spiritually shepherding the community of faith because I think it's most analogous to what we're talking about this morning as we look at Moses and his call to spiritually shepherd the community of faith. But as I talk about spiritually shepherding the context of the community of faith, hopefully you're able to see wherever you are in life, wherever God has called you to shepherd, you're able to see the application of those principles in in other areas as well. But again, most of what I say may be more directly related to spiritually shepherding, and because I know my own life more than others, uh, I'll probably talk more about it in the context of my spiritually shepherding, but I, I don't want to make it uh, autobiographical as well. I'm going to stay with the text. But Spiritually shepherding others is, is difficult, and there are aspects of pastoral shepherding that are challenging, right? Lifeway Research did a poll of various pastors. I believe they did something like 1,500, 2,000 pastors a few years ago and gave them the survey. And here are some of the things that they found. They found that over two-thirds of pastors leave the pastorate within 10 years. In other words, very few pastors stay beyond 10 years in one church. 84% of pastors say they're on call 24 hours a day. Over half say they find the, the role of being a pastor overwhelming and fear for their family's financial security. Uh, many say they can't feel like they are able to meet the demands of ministry. Of pastors who leave the church, Many would say that they leave the church because of conflict. Some would say because of personal attack, because of conflict with lay leaders. But over half would say that they leave the church because they feel like they simply have taken the church as as far as they can. They, They can't take the church any further. Over half would say that. As one of the researchers said, looking at the data, he said, this is a brutal job. <laughs> it's a brutal job. Pastorally shepherding others is, is difficult. It's difficult because those who are sh- pastor shepherds 
are frail, you know, struggle with our, our own sin and issues. Think about Ezekiel 34 and talking about self-centered pastors and, and all pastors struggle with their own sin nature and frailties. Pastors also struggle in that ministry because the people they shepherd have sinful issues that they're dealing with and don't always want to follow after the Lord, as shocking as that sounds. And then also, just simply the realities of life. And again, we think about the difficulties of, of people in our own church over the last few weeks and the, the, just the, the many, many things that are happening health-wise and financial-wise and family-wise. It's just, it's, it's, um, it's painful, right? It's painful for you. It's painful for people who God has entrusted with the care of your soul. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 11, and it's a, a passage that resonates with, with me and I'm sure others of you who are spiritually shepherd others. Paul's talking about all these things that are going on in his life, the afflictions that he's faced, and he mentions thing after thing that he's had to go through. And he says in, in verse 28 of 2 Corinthians 11, he goes, and on top of all that, as, as if all those things weren't enough, he says it's the, the daily pressure on me of the anxiety for all the churches. And again, just speaking for myself, and I'm sure this is true for others, as you think about the needs of, of people in our church and our body, sometimes for me that just it manifests itself physically. I, I feel like it's hard to breathe. I physically feel just constricted as I think about all the things that are going on in the life of the church, in the life of, of people who are, are hurting, and I know that's not unique to me. I know others of you feel that way sometimes as well. And so the question is, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the, the challenges to spiritually shepherding others? How do we care for others rightly? in a God-honoring way. We're going to look at Moses. And as we look at Moses and we see how he is called to lead people in the community of faith, we're going to see some challenges. And as we look at those challenges, what I think is going to, to come about is we're going to have this understanding. Spiritual shepherds lead people to Christ, not themselves, And they do so by God's strength, not their own. Spiritual shepherds lead people to Christ, not themselves. And they do so, they lead people to Christ, not themselves, by God's strength and not their own. In other words, for a a pastor, elder, for a parent, for a co-worker, whoever it is that's involved in spiritually shepherding, Our task is not to lead people to ourselves. Our call by God is to lead people to him, to to Jesus Christ. And the way that we do that also is dependent upon God and not ourselves. In other words, Jesus is both the the end of our ministry and the means. He's he's how we do the ministry. And any time I'm failing in spiritually shepherding others, one of those two things is usually out of kilter. Either I'm not leading people to Christ, I'm focused on myself, or I'm trying to lead people to God on the basis of my own efforts and not relying upon his work as well. So let's, let's look here at these challenges that we see in Moses' life to help us understand how we shepherd others. And here's challenge number one. Challenge number one is understanding that God sovereignly raises up his leaders in his time. And if you would go ahead and, uh, if you're not already there, open up to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to kind of be going through some large portions of Scripture at a time. But as we come to Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, remember what's just happened. Pharaoh has given this order that all Hebrew children who are male and are born are to be thrown into the Nile River. So in Exodus chapter 2, Moses is born, and he's this beautiful child, and his mother throws him into the Nile, but she puts him in a basket first, and she has her daughter watch to see what would happen. And this child, of course, is Moses, and Pharaoh's daughter sees Moses there in the Nile River. She brings him up out of the river Moses' sister asks Pharaoh, would you like me to go get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter says yes. And so Moses' mother 
cares for Moses at the beginning of his life. Then you come to verse 11. And in verse 11, it says that Moses had grown up, and we know that from Acts chapter 7, he's about 40 years old at the time. And he sees, he goes out to look at his people, so he has this recognition of his kinship with these slaves, with the Israelites. He recognizes their relationship to him. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he looks around, sees no one. He strikes down the Egyptian and hides the body in the sand. The next day, two Hebrews are, are fighting, and he goes to the, to the man who's done the wrong thing. He says, why are you striking your companion? And this guy goes, well, who made you prince and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Moses becomes afraid. He realizes that what he's done has become known publicly, and Pharaoh is out to punish him, to kill him because of what he's done. And so Moses flees to Midian. He flees Egypt and goes to the land of Midian. What was Moses thinking whenever he went out among his people? Well, Stephen in the book of Acts again tells us. It says that he went to visit his, it said it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And then verse 25, Stephen says that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses' belief as he goes out and, and interacts with his fellow Israelites and tries to, to deal at least in a small degree with this oppression that they're facing, his belief is that they're going to see me and recognize that I'm at a unique time in my life and I have a unique position and I can enact change. And yet his fellow countrymen don't recognize that. It says that they reject him. Moses has turned 40 years old. It's around that age. I just turned 39 this past week, and, and I think all research tells us that, that 39 to 48, I mean, that is just like the peak of life, right? I mean, that's when you really arrive and people should listen to you. Um, I don't really have figures to back that up per se, but it feels right. No, Moses recognized, okay, this is it. Moses looks around and goes, man, this, this is perfect, 40 years old, kind of a, coming into my own as, in, a, as this, this, in this position of, of I'm young enough to do things, and, and yet I'm, I'm old enough to have some respect, and so it just kind of seems like this perfect time in the life to, to begin to enact change. And, and unfortunately, it's not. This isn't God's plan. It's not his timing for Moses. It's not his timing for the people of Israel. Instead, Moses fails and fails spectacularly and has to flee to Midian. He marries and he calls his son Gershom in verse 22 and he says, I'm, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. I'm, I'm a guy without a home. This ministry, this, this task that I thought perhaps was going to be mine was not. He's going to spend another 40 years in Midian. If you think 40 might be kind of an ideal age to begin this, this, this new work, uh, 80 seems like the other extreme of that, right? But look at what you see when you come to the end of chapter 2. Two beautiful, beautiful verses. The people of Israel are crying out to God for help. And verse 24 says, And God heard their groaning, and God, God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God had this all down. He had a plan, and he knew his plan. He knew what was going on, and he was going to bring about deliverance and salvation exactly according to his timetable. not Moses's. One of the challenges that faces us as we're going to spiritually shepherd others, the challenge is understanding that God is sovereignly raising up his leaders in his time. And there, there are two principles that I think are very helpful for us as we think about application in our own lives. Uh, the first principle is you might not be called to lead where you think you are called to lead. 
And the second principle is you might not be called to lead when you think you're called to lead. Both the where and the when may not be what you think they are. Moses thinks, man, this great time, great place, great opportunity. God says, no, let's, let's give it another, I don't know, 40 years. It's a challenge. You say, well, well, how do I know then? How do I know? How can I discern God's timing? That's difficult too. It's difficult. A few months into my ministry here at Bethany Community Church, maybe even just a few weeks, there was a, a pastor who, be, who uh, left his church and began to attend Bethany Community, and uh, that's, that's kind of an intimidating thing when you have uh, people who have done what you are just now starting to do, and they're listening every week to you do it. And he came up to me and, and said, hey, let's, let's get together for lunch. So we got together for lunch, and we sat down, and he said, um, Daniel, uh, you're not a bad preacher. And anytime anyone kind of begins with that statement, you're like, man, the rest, the other half of this sentence is not going to be a good sentence. You're not a bad preacher, but <laughs> I, I think I can help you. I think I can help you. And uh, so, well, it's very kind of you. Uh, <laughs> how, 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 how do you think I can, you know, how do you think you can help me? He goes, well, there's, there's two things. Uh, one, uh, I, I think that you could have me preach more. You know, have me come preach. Maybe the church can even pay me, whatever. And uh, just have me preach from the pulpit. Uh, and you could watch and, and learn. And I was like, well, okay, what, what's the second? He goes, well, whenever you preach, I can, I can just kind of take you along and, and describe where you can improve. Now, now, what do you say in response to that? It's a very bold, in my mind, it's a very bold thing to say, hey, you, got, you just planted this church. I think the best thing for it is for you to preach less. I mean, that's kind of a strong thing to say, right? Very bold. Right? But you don't want to say, well, no, 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 I've got this, because you know you don't. You know? And every week that went by, I knew more. I, I do not have this thing down, right? So what do you do? So well, let, me, let me talk to the elders. Talk to the elders. What, what do I do with this? I said, well, let's, let's give it some time, right? This person's just come to our church. They, they feel very confident that this is the ministry they've been called to do and the way and the timing, and they think kind of God's providentially working out. Let's, let's see. Let's, let's kind of allow them to serve in some other capacities first, and, and, and then I think the elders' council here, here was very good. And, and maybe, maybe it is of God. Maybe, maybe this is something God would, would have us, us learn from, but, but maybe it's not. Let's see. Let's see how they shepherd. And you know what? You know what? This is a very, very true principle. Um, shepherd, shepherd, right? You put someone in a church, no matter where they've been, and they, they come, and if, if they're a shepherd, they're going to start shepherding and caring for people. When things have gotten tough in, in our ministry life, sometimes I've, I've asked Wayne, I said, hey, do you wish that I wasn't doing this? And she said, well, you know, I don't think it matters because I think wherever you were, you'd be doing this. At least now you're getting paid for it, right? So uh, God's gracious there. And so, indeed, you know, this, this, uh, it, it turned out for this person who had come to our church, um, they, did, they did not stay here, but I believe they went to another church, and God gave them a fruitful ministry there. And, and God's place, God's timing, it's his deal. Our challenge is we have wrong beliefs about when and how God is going to use others and us. We have to understand that this is God's ministry. He's going to raise up us in the place and when he wants to do so. Here's a second challenge. Challenge number two is acknowledging our own failures as leaders. Moses has been called to this ministry of deliverance, but, but how is he called? Uh, we'll, we'll see here and, and turn to chapter 3. As you come to chapter 3, it becomes very clear this is, this is God's this is God's deal. Uh, chapter 3, Moses is keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro the priest. And this is, again, when he's about 80 years old. And he sees, the, the, he sees chapter 2 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And I believe here we're, we're seeing a theophany, a, an appearance of God. I believe this is, is God the Son, the eternal second member of the Trinity here. 
who would become Jesus incarnate. It's him appearing to Moses, and he, he speaks to him, Moses, Moses. Moses says, here I am, and he tells him to take off his, his sandals. And then he, he calls him, he gives him this ministry. He says, I've, I've seen, this is the Lord speaking, I've seen what's happened to my people. I, I want to deliver them out of Egypt into this land that I promised them. And then he says in verse 10, come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children, out of Egypt. And Moses, his first objection is in verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Which seems like a, a fair objection. It's, it's humble. He recognizes his failures from earlier. And God answers. He says, well, uh, this time it's different. Verse 12, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Moses gives a second objection. His second objection is there in verse 13. Well, if I go and people say, well, who sent you? They kind of test my orthodoxy. What's his name? Verse 13. What am I supposed to say to them? And then God says this in verse 14. I am who I am. I am who I am. He's speaking here of his eternality. The same God that spoke to Abraham and made this covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and spoke to Jacob and to Isaac. It's, it's me. It's the same God. I am who I am. And if they say, who is it? Say, I am has sent me to you. And that, that phrase in your Bible that you see translated as Lord's, and some translations have it in all capital letters, that's, that's a shortened form of this phrase, I am who I am, Yahweh. It is in Hebrew. The God of your fathers, and he ties himself again to the eternality of his, his ministry. The, the God of Genesis 1-1, the creator God, it's, it's me. And then he reveals more of his plan on the basis of sharing his name. He says, this is what I'm going to do to uh, the people of Israel. And here's what I'm going to do and bring them into the land of the Canaanites. And here's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And here's how worship is going to take place. I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike Egypt. This is verse 20, by the way, with all the wonders that I will do. And after that, Pharaoh will let you go. Moses objects again a third time in verse 1 of chapter 4. But, 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 says Moses, maybe they won't believe me. Maybe they'll say, well, okay, your, your orthodoxy in terms of who God is is right, but I don't, I don't believe that God really appeared to you. And God says, well, I'm going to give you these three signs. You can throw it in your staff and it'll become a serpent. You can put your hand into your cloak and then bring it out and it'll be leprous and then put it back in and it'll be healed. And then a third sign will be taking some of the water from the Nile, pouring it on the dry ground. The water will become blood. Here's three signs, and these are these first three signs that he gives them are not signs for Pharaoh. These are signs for the elders of the people of Israel so that they'll believe him. And Moses gives another objection. This is his fourth objection in verse 10 of chapter 4. Well, uh, okay, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not, I'm not very good at speaking. God says, look, verse 11, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? It's, it's me. It's, it's, it's I. It's Yahweh. Moses continues to object. And perhaps on the basis of his failures 40 years ago, he's concerned about the ministry that God is calling him to. And again, he's failing as we fail so often in she- as shepherds focusing on himself as the ends or himself as the means. And God continually affirms, look, you're calling people to come and worship me, and you're going to do so by my strength. We get to the root of it in verse 13, as Moses gives his fifth objection. Look, God, uh, just please send someone else. He doesn't even try coming up with some sort of cute, excuse. Let's just send somebody else. And then God, it says that his anger was kindled. But even in his anger, it's mixed with grace, and he provides Moses with Aaron. So, so what's happened here? God continues to give instruction. God continues to give Moses the resources that he needs, and Moses responds with excuses and manifesting his unbelief. 
And the point here as we, we think about this is that sometimes our, our failure as spiritual shepherds is on us who are doing the spiritually shepherding of others. The failure is, is on us because of our, our lack of trusting in God and recognizing that the ministry is about him and not ourselves. That not understanding that this is God's ministry, that he's responsible for what he's going to do. God says, I'm going to do this, and then he continues to graciously give examples of how he'll get it done, and Moses continues to not believe. I was talking to a pastor a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how he became a Christian, and he said, you know, I was listening to a, a pastor give a sermon, presented the gospel, and and I just I believed what he was saying from God's word and responded by placing my faith in Jesus Christ for my salvation. So oh, that's, that's beautiful. And as we continue to talk about this, this pastor's ministry who had proclaimed the gospel to him, that pastor who had proclaimed the gospel left the faith. So I said to this, this, this pastor I was talking to, I said, well, how did that, when you heard this person who had presented the gospel, do you left the faith? Did it, did it shake you? Did it rattle you? I mean, we're like, boy, he said, he goes, no, it didn't. It's never about that guy, right? It's never about his ministry. It was about God. And this pastor said, and it's it's the same for me today. It's not about my ministry. As I speak words, God was able to use perhaps an unconverted pastor to proclaim the gospel. He can use me to proclaim the gospel. He can use people who are far more gifted than I am to proclaim the gospel. It's never been about me. It's about God and his grace. I'll tell you this, there's there's two principles here. One, we can't save anyone, right? We can't save anyone. We are incapable of saving the most righteous person we know. I mean, you and I, in and of ourselves, as, as leaders, as people who are trying to spiritually care for others, we have absolutely no ability to save anyone. And it goes even deeper than that. Because not only are we not able to save anyone, we are in need of the same grace that we're proclaiming to others. In other words, it's not like I have this, this big vat of grace that I can kind of you know, dish out to people. So here you go, here's a little for you. I know you need a little more. I mean, we need to drink as deeply from that vat of grace as the people that we're giving the grace to. As I proclaim this message of salvation and deliverance, it's not like, hey, here's a, here's a good, this is going to be helpful for you guys. I need to, as I proclaim that message to others, I'm proclaiming it to myself as well. And I do that because I recognize my own frailties and faults as a leader. I'm in desperate need of God's grace. And there are are signs of failure often in my leadership. But the signs of failure in my leadership are not the signs you might think are the signs of failure in my leadership. It's not a sign of failure in my leadership whenever people don't like me. Necessarily. (laughs) It might be. But not guaranteed. It's not necessarily a sign of failure in my leadership if, if... Um, people are upset about something that I do. It's not a sign of failure in leadership if people leave the church necessarily. But there are some clear signs of failure in leadership. It's a sign of failure in my leadership when I'm self-reliant. When I, I blame myself for things that aren't my responsibility. It's a sign of failure in my leadership when I credit myself with success that I'm not responsible for or failure that I'm not responsible for. It's a sign of failure in, in leadership when I'm, I'm discouraged about the ministry that God is calling me to. It's a sign of failure in my leadership when I don't believe his promises, when I'm self-focused instead of pointing to Christ. All those are signs of failure in leadership. And the challenge to me is acknowledging my own failure as a leader and receiving God's grace. Challenge number three. Challenge number three is accepting the frailties of the people we lead, right? I've kind of wrestled with that phrasing a little bit, accepting the frailties. It sounds 
it's just not quite the right word, but uh, it's Sunday morning. I don't have time now to come up with another word, but accepting. Like I didn't want to, it sounds a little condescending maybe, but I didn't want to say like celebrating the frailties of the people because it's not like we're excited about the fact that we are sinners, but accepting, it's not terrible, not a terrible word, but here, here's the idea. Look at the text. You have that strange story of Moses on his way to Egypt, probably another sign of his failure as a leader, not circumcising his, his son, his ministry's in danger. His wife, his wife so often do, delivers him. She performs the circumcision on their son. And they, Aaron and Moses go and they meet with the elders. And it says in verse 30 that Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And these, again, are the leaders. And it says in verse 31, this is kind of an encouraging part of the ministry. It says, the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. They hear about God's plan to deliver them, and there's excitement. There's, oh, this is, this is fantastic, and they worship Yahweh God. See the signs they believe. They catch the vision. All those buzzwords you'd want to have as a leader, they have here. But, but then things turn south fast. What happens next? You come to chapter 5, and they go to, to Pharaoh, and Moses and Aaron, they say, let, my people, let our people, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, well, the reason that the people are wanting to go to worship God is because they're lazy, and he tells the foremen, the taskmasters, to require the same amount of bricks from them but not provide them straw any longer. And the taskmasters are very cruel to the Israelites. The Israelites come to Pharaoh and they say, Pharaoh, you're, you're, people are upset. It's not our fault we're not building as many bricks. Uh, the, your people aren't providing us the straw. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh responds in verse 17 of chapter 5, you're idle. You're idle, he says it twice. That, that's why you're saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw is going to be given you, but you still must deliver the same number of bricks. And verses 19 and 20 are very ominous. It says, the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble. They met Moses in verse 20 and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you. The Lord look on you and judge. Because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. You've put a sword in their hand to kill us. And then Moses is discouraged by that. Lord, he says, what have you done? Why have you done evil to this people? Why did you... And he, this, this question he asks is a question that, that all of us who are spiritual leaders, who care about the people we serve, it's a question all of us have asked, why did you even send me? It's a question every parent has asked as they've looked at their children. It's a question that many friends have asked as they've seen their friends struggle. It's a question that every pastor has asked when confronted with difficulty in his ministry, why did you even send me? It would have been better for the people of this church to not even have a pastor than to have a pastor like me. All spiritual shepherds say that, or potentially struggle with that. What do we do in that circumstance when... People are upset at us. How, how should a leader respond? You see here that Moses is, is, is discouraged by the way that the people have, have turned on him. There's this, there's this, this sense, why, why, have, why have people directed their, their animosity towards me? And, and 
In fact, let's, let's cheat a little bit. We're going to go into chapter 6 here in verse 9. Moses speaks the words of the Lord to the people of Israel. It says, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. Now, I believe that is very, very important for us to understand as we think about the frailties of the people that God has entrusted to our spiritual care. You see, it's, it's easy to see the story for me from the perspective of Moses. Here's Moses And Moses is caught in a tight spot because God is telling him to say all these things to the people. Moses says these things to the people, and the people have it rough, and then they kind of get upset at Moses. And so Moses, it feels like, is is getting it from both sides. So we feel bad for Moses. But can we also see the perspective of the people? Not saying that how they responded was right, but can you at least empathize and and understand what they're going through? Here you are, you're a slave in Egypt, you're going through this difficult time, and this leader comes and he says, hey guys, let's let's leave, yeah, let's tell Pharaoh off, yeah, let's tell Pharaoh off, he tells Pharaoh off, and now you're in trouble, you're getting beaten. Can you understand why some of a person's animosity might be directed toward you in that circumstance? And brothers and sisters, here's here's our challenge. If we are put in a position of spiritual leadership, we have to come to the point where we understand why people are upset at us. And not just understand it in an intellectual way, but where we, we can empathize with them. Where we don't respond with self-righteousness. How dare people become angry with me, a servant of the Lord? You know, that, that's not helpful. We're not disdainful. We're not disgusted with people who are upset. We empathize. We understand. We recognize. We don't celebrate. We're not saying, hey, that's awesome that you're mad at me. Fantastic. This is going to be great. No, we're, not, we're not that. But there's a sense of, I, I understand. I'm entering into your pain, and I understand why some of your pain is directed toward me. If we're going to effectively shepherd others, we have to get to that point. We have to accept, not celebrate, but accept the frailties of of people that we love. And and brothers and sisters, I would just tell you... um, we probably don't get this right as leaders here at this church. I think I can say that pretty confidently. We don't get this balance right. But I can also say very confidently that I know that we want to. I know that we want to. It's just very, very tough, right? So, for example, you have a, a person who's angry, angry with their family, a man who's angry with his family, and so you want to talk to him and you you want to you want to accept in the sense of, of of letting him know that this is a safe place to to be and to to share how he's struggling, but you don't want to celebrate. Hey, that's awesome that you're yelling at your kids all the time. You see you see the balance there. Or you have a, a young couple who's in the church. They're they're not married and they're struggling with with purity in that relationship. And, and you don't want to be some some church that says how how can you possibly struggle? I don't understand. We are perfect here at this church and and just very condescending toward them. That your your life is ruined forever. There's no way that you can ever be acceptable before. That's that's foolishness. And it's it's not the gospel. It's not grace. It's not what we need as leaders. And at the same time, you want to say hey. Let's talk about holiness, and let's, we want you to have joy in your life, and so here's how we pursue it. Brothers and sisters, I would just, I would just submit to you that it's a tough balance of, of grace as, as you try to pursue righteousness together, and sometimes as you do so, trying to call people to God's salvation, fury is, is directed toward you. It's tough. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. It's tough, and I know I don't get the balance right, but I know I want to. In fact, again, I don't want to be auto, too autobiographical here, but um, whenever I was being asked to be involved in more ministry, and it was kind of a vocational-type ministry job, a youth pastor, um, my dad, it was my dad who didn't think I should do it. My dad didn't think I should go into ministry, or at least was very cautious about it, because of this area in my life. He said, you're too critical of others. 
You're not very gracious. You're a very critical person. You're right. You know? So I was thinking about this passage, and as I came to verse 9 of chapter 6, and it said that they did not listen to Moses, and it says, because of their broken spirit. So it's, there's, there's, this, there's this sense in which it's not saying it's right for them not to believe God, but there's a sense of understanding, okay, I understand what's happening spiritually, and I, I, I empathize, and I, I, want, I want God's grace in that area of their life. As I read verse 9, I just wrote down, I, I wrote down as I was studying this, I wrote down... Um, Something like, God, help me be gracious toward those who go astray. And even whenever they, they manifest that in being angry at me or, or, or the church. And then it was, it was very interesting. Wednesday night, a guy came into my office and said, Hey, I uh, just want to tell you, I've really noticed graciousness in your life. I was like, what? Thank you. And then uh, Thursday, I was having lunch with some people, and a uh, dear friend she said to me, um, you're, uh, you're a very gracious person. We weren't talking about this, this passage at all. And so I thought about that. Why, you know, it's very nice of God to, to bring that to, to those, those comments in my life, and they surprised me and encouraged me. I thought, well, I don't think it's because I'm a better pastor. Like, I don't feel like a just, I'm not a better person. But I think what's happened is that God just continues to reveal my own issues and my need for God's grace. And it just causes me to be more gracious toward others. But it's a challenge. As I try to think about how best to articulate it, I, I think here's a good way to understand it. Um, my goal is to accept people but accept people, accept them so that I can lead them to the Holy One, right? So it's not, I'm not accepting them to, to celebrate wherever it is they or I am. I'm accepting them, I'm, I'm welcoming them, I'm, I'm understanding where they are so that I can lead them to the Holy One. That's what I think we have to understand. We understand that people can be inspired by a vision and then they can turn around and become discouraged by difficulty. And that's reality, People's responses to me, to you, are not our gauge of success in ministry. Our kids' approval is not our aim. Our people we serve, their approval is not our aim. Ultimately, our aim is to please the Lord. Here's the fourth challenge. Challenge number four is understanding our ministry is to lead people to Christ, not replace him. To lead people to Christ, not replace him. These are some very, very powerful verses at the beginning of of chapter 6. And remember... Moses is discouraged here, and notice how much this ministry that God describes to Moses again as he reaffirms Moses' calling in a very encouraging way. Notice, notice how much God talks about himself. Look, he says, now you shall see what I will do. Verse 2, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In other words, they didn't understand the fullness of what Yahweh means. I am who I am. I, my continually, uh, the fact that I continually keep the covenant that I made with them. I'm an eternal God. I established my covenant with them. I told them I was going to give them the land of Canaan. I've heard their groaning. Uh, verse 6, you need to say to them, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you. I will save you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give you to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you possession. I am the Lord. Moses, this is my Deal. And the reason we're going through this, we're bringing people to salvation so they can come and worship me. I am the means and I am the end. And what do we see about this Yahweh God who is eternal God? I am who I am. What do we understand about this second person of the Trinity who appears to Moses in a burning bush? We see that it's Jesus Christ who calls himself I am in the Gospel of John. 
And we see that the same salvation that Moses is proclaiming to the people of Israel, deliverance out of oppression through the hand of God to salvation, that's the same message that you and I are proclaiming. Deliverance from bondage through faith in Jesus Christ to salvation. That's the message that we proclaim. We must understand the nature of our ministry is to lead people to Christ, not replace him. My ministry is possible not because of my own efforts, not because I care enough. It's because it's possible because of the one to whom we're pointing all people. He's the Redeemer. He's the Deliverer. I mentioned that statistic at the beginning of of the sermon about pastors, that the majority of pastors who leave the pastorate say they, they do so because they've simply come to the point where they recognize I can't lead the church any further. I can't lead the church any further. I think that's a sad thing. I think it's a sad thing that pastors quit at that point. Because that's that's the perfect point to get to. It's the point we get to as parents. It's the point we get to as friends. It's the point we get to as coworkers saying, you know what? I, I thought that I could, could, could care for this person and, and change them. I guess I can't. Well, pff. but in the context of spiritually shepherding, what, what do we come to? We say, you know what? I've gotten to the point where I recognize I, I can't do this. I, I can't do this ministry. On my own abilities, I can't preach powerfully sermons that are powerful enough to to get everyone to stand up and say, yeah, let's go do that. We can't do that. I can't change hearts. What do we come to? We come to this, this realization, I can't do this ministry. And God says, exactly. This is my ministry. My timing, my place, my calling, my redemption. The task of a spiritual shepherd is to point people to Christ, not themselves, and to do so in God's strength, not our own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your graciousness toward us. We thank you for the salvation that you offer us through faith in your son, Jesus. Help us to point ourselves and others to him. In your name we pray this. Amen.